We are getting started. We welcome you out to the midweek service at the Midway Church of Christ. This is the auditorium class. We have several classes meeting this evening, as we always do. But um, we're grateful we have good teachers, good and willing teachers to be in our classes with our little ones. We put a high priority on that. This evening we're going to be studying together from the book of Amos. If you'll take your Bibles and look, look in that direction, the book of Amos. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Amos. We'll be looking at some lessons that we can derive out of this little book. Very powerful book indeed. Come on in. Got Sam Scott back there in the foyer, so everything must be okay. As we get started, let's bow together. Gracious Lord, we we thank Thee for providing the rain for us. We thank Thee, Father, for, for providing life every day. Lord, we thank Thee for this particular opportunity this evening. We're thankful to be part of this church family. Well, Lord, we ask Your blessings to continue to be with those that's been on our list for some time, those who have lost loved ones, those who are struggling with different uh, weaknesses and sicknesses, and we ask Your blessings, O Lord, upon them. Continue our prayer for Ashley and all of Will's family, the girls. We pray your blessing on them, Father, that you would strengthen them, lift them up, help us to show our love, Father, not only to that family, but to each other and to as many as possible. Lord, we are mindful of your tremendous love for us. And we're thankful, Father, for our Savior, Jesus. Oh Lord, we know you have preserved these holy writings for us in the Bible. We pray that we may ever be mindful of what you want to say to us. And Lord, we're so thankful. Ask your blessing on us, Father, as we as we take a look at the book of Amos this evening. We pray that the things that we we share together may be helpful to each of us, that we may gain more knowledge of your word, but also that we may be drawn closer unto uh, your holiness. Lord, we pray for, for the spread of the gospel here in this community, in our area, in our state, throughout the country and all the countries of the world. We pray, Father, that you and your great providence will, will create environments where the gospel can be 
received and taught and that we might be able to be of use uh, in your cause uh, as we are here on this earth. Lord, we are grateful for the great hope of heaven. Oh Lord, we so look forward to being at home with thee up above for eternity. Help us, Father, to so walk and to so live that one day we can indeed hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now be with us, Father, and be with everyone who's in church service this evening. Pray that all things may be done to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come in, come in. We are in the book of Amos. And we'll just talk a little bit about it before we get into the specific lessons. Amos is a great prophet, but he really wasn't a full-time prophet. He was a shepherd and also a farmer. Farmer. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, you look over in chapter 7, you'll find out he was also a farmer and took care of sycamore trees. A very tedious work. The report is that they would need by hand to manipulate or squeeze the little fruit that comes on sycamore trees so they would be able to ripen and come to full blossom. And so he was a worker, hard worker. But God calls him to go somewhere. Now, Amos is from southern part of Jerusalem, a little place called Tekoa, actually about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. But he's called to go to the northern kingdom of Israel, situated in Samaria, north, north, north of Jerusalem. So even though he's part of the southern kingdom of Judah, he is called to go to the northern kingdom. On the horizon is captivity for northern Israel, situated around Samaria. They are earning this in real time as Amos is living and teaching. And we'll be noticing some of the sins that earned their right to go to captivity in Samaria. Later on, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah will go into captivity um, to Babylon. But this Amos deals with the northern kingdom. This is about, I guess, captivity for the northern kingdom happened around 721, 720 B.C. And so these several hundred years now before Christ, but nonetheless, powerful lessons and even some prophecies are found in this book about Jesus. We'll go through some of these chapters, but as we do, we will pick out and notice some, some interesting, hopefully, and some helpful lessons uh, that will be um, beneficial to all of us. There's much more we could say about the ideal of Amos, his person, and the nation of Israel. But we certainly want to get to some of the lessons. So I encourage you to read this book. We certainly will not be able to touch on this book verse by verse uh, this evening. But I want us to get some of the central messages 
that come from this book. And then perhaps as you read it later on, uh, you can have a greater idea, all of us can, we can have a greater idea of what's going on. <clears throat> so here we go. Looking at chapter 1, Amos chapter 1. Let's notice this lesson, and that is that all nations, for all time, everywhere, are accountable to God. If there's any lesson that's brought out, this is brought out in chapter 1. Notice, beginning in verse uh, 3, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. This is said several times about different nations throughout chapter 1. He will name off the city or name off the nation and then will mention a sin and then uh, notice that punishment is coming. So notice the familiar phrases here. Chapter 1 verse 3, for the transgressions of Damascus for, uh, for 3 and, and for 4 and they have been very uh, violent toward Gilead. Okay. And then look down to uh, verse 6. For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have carried into exile a whole people. They were involved in, in slave trading. Okay. Notice in verse number 9. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, for they also uh, have broken the covenant. And they have delivered people over to Edom. So they were involved also in slave trading. And they have broken the covenant of brotherhood. So he says in verse 10, I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Again, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother, been very unbrotherly, been very cruel with the sword, and cast off. All pity. When it says for three transgressions and for four, he's not talking about just for four sins or for three sins. That's just God's way of saying they've got sin and they've got a lot of it. Okay. Notice down in, in verse 13. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four I will not revoke the punishment. And notice what they've been doing. Verse 13. They have ripped Open the pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So notice how that God values both the mother and the unborn child because they are being held accountable to the ripping open of both the woman and the child within uh, the woman. Okay. And then into chapter 2, Verse 1, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the kingdom of Edom. A lot of these nations were just simply cruel to each other. They were very unbrotherly to each other. Okay. But the big lesson here is that all nations are accountable to God. These nations are absolutely pagan. They're not associated with the law of Moses. They're not associated with that relationship that would come through the nation of Israel. Nonetheless, 
they're still accountable to God. They should still be seeking to please the Lord, and they are not. Okay. They're under some sort of divine law, or else God could not hold them accountable, right? Over in Romans 4, verse 15, it says something like, where there is no law, there can be no transgression. We know that 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is a transgression of the law. So if God is calling them accountable because of their sins, that means that he has somehow communicated to these nations what he expects of them. Okay. Remember that the singular nation of Israel, coming from the seed of Abraham, were chosen out from among a, a number of nations to be God's chosen people to bring Jesus into the world and to draw attention to the coming of the Lord and his church, his kingdom. Okay. But nonetheless, everybody living on the earth is made in the image of God, is accountable to God. Okay. Remember Jonah's book, the book of Jonah? Remember Jonah's experiences? Remember God's mission for Jonah, Jonah 1? Chapter 1, 1 and 2. Okay. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. The wickedness, for their wickedness has come up before me. You see, God cares for everyone. He cares for all nations. Everywhere. During these ancient times, He did. That's why He sent the prophets. He's sending Amos from the south to the north. He sent Jonah to Nineveh because God cares for these people and he wants them to change their ways. He wants them to be able to live for him and to be with him in eternity. And so that's the big lesson here from chapter 1, I believe, is all nations are definitely accountable. And this is somewhat of a, of a background to the great commission that we are under now to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he who believes and is baptized, I shall be saved. On to chapter 2, notice here, the second big lesson, and that is, God's own people have no excuse for what they are doing. Notice how that after he, after he condemns Moab, he gets down to verse 4. Who does he mention in verse 4? Judah. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and it shall be devoured and the strongholds of Jerusalem uh, shall be devoured. Okay. God's own people are inexcusable. They have no excuse for what they're doing. And then notice verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel. Now remember, the nation of God split in two. When did it split in two? After Solomon into the reign of who? His son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. And then Jeroboam become the leader in the northern kingdom of Israel up there in Samaria 
and Rehoboam down in the south, and the two were split, and there were two kingdoms and two two kings for the rest of the whole Old Testament era. Okay, and so he says here in verse six, chapter two, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Now, one of the great sins of Israel was her materialism, her lust for, for money. And evidently she'll do anything, people in Israel will do anything to keep their money, even sell the poor, sell possessions of the poor. And so we'll be running into that again. But look over into chapter uh, 6 right quick. Amos chapter 6. Israel had been blessed with material possessions and it had made them, I guess, for lack of a better word, lazy, um, expecting. But chapter 6, verse 1 Woe to those who are at, at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria, see, northern kingdom, Samaria, the notable, notable men of the first nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Notice um, verse 3 and 4, chapter 6. O you who put away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of, of violence, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invented for themselves instruments of music, okay. who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So it gives you an idea of some of the sins of Israel. Very locked up in material possessions, material means. Now, let's remember that God does not excuse the sins of His own people. That's our second big lesson. God does not excuse the sin of His own people. Now, the nations, the pagan nations, like Tyre and Damascus and Moab, they could not say, well, we're not part of, of Moses' covenant, so therefore we can just do what we want. No, they couldn't. But neither could God's people say, well, since we are God's chosen people, then, then we, we can do what we want. Okay? And God is saying, oh, no, you can't. Okay? You're, you're not privileged to the point that you can just create your own way of living. Okay? You can't create your own your own religion. And he's holding them accountable. One big thing, and you're not surprised about this, but one big thing is they reject the words of the prophets. Look in chapter 2 here in verse 12. Chapter 2, 12. You made the Nazarites drink wine and you commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. We don't want to hear you. We don't want to hear you. And this is particularly evident if you look over to chapter 7. 
And this is, this is one of the most telling paragraphs here in chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. It's worth for us to, to read this. You'll want to know about this paragraph. You probably have already read it before, heard it quoted. But here is um, Amos coming up to the north, and he's going to be greeted by one of the priests of Bethel. Notice this beginning in verse 10, Amos uh, 7. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you. Notice that. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Verse 11. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. Verse 12, Amaziah said to Amos, here it is, notice this. Amaziah, the priest, says to the prophet Amos, O seer, that is prophet, go and flee away to the land of Judah. Go back down south and eat bread there and prophesy there. And, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of of the kingdom. You go back down south where you belong. We don't want you up here. Okay. This, is, this is the root of the problem, as you very well could, could know about that. Verse 14, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with with a measuring line but you yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from this land. And so notice that Israel is sinning in many, many different ways. Even into idolatry, if we had time, we'd just read through a lot of things in the book, but just just really have gone away from the Lord and don't seem to even be concerned about it at all. And they want Amos to go back home, go back away. But Amos, a very courageous uh, teacher here, and he's to be greatly admired. But second big lesson is that um, God will not excuse his own people. When Jesus came to the earth, the Pharisees almost had that attitude. John the Baptist in, in, in Matthew 3, he said to the Pharisees, he said, Do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For God is able of these stones to raise up children and Abraham. Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, is what John said to the Pharisees, Matthew 3, verse, verse 8 or so. Okay. You see, they almost had just cons- created this, this, this air of superiority where because they were sons of Abraham, uh, then uh, things don't apply to them like it does to all the other people on earth. And And Amos is saying that simply is not uh, the case. 
Lesson number three, if you continue here in chapters one and two, just quickly, I want you to remember something. Way back, Samuel, prophet Samuel, what did the people ask for during, during Samuel's time? All right. Back in 1 Samuel 8, around verse 5, you remember the people come to Samuel and said, we want a king. We want a king. Now God will say to Samuel, Samuel, in saying this, they are rejecting me. But I'll go ahead and give them what they want. But they wanted to be like the other nations. Now, if you look at Amos, they have reached their goal, haven't they? Because look at chapter 1 in Amos. God is condemning those nations using this language for three transgressions and for four. And then when he gets down to Judah and Israel, he uses the same language for three transgressions and for four. For three transgressions and for four. Yes, O Israel, you have now reached the top. You have reached your goal. You have become exactly like the other nations. And all these pathetic characteristics. Okay. So careful what you ask for, right? They got what they wanted. But they were rejecting God. God warned them how they would end up, how they, what kind of habits they would, they would develop. And here they are. Here they are. What a heartbreaking situation it was back there in 1 Samuel 8 for God's own people to say, we want to be like the devil's people. Wonder why they would ask for that. But here are the, the consequences of such a request. Okay. So lesson number three is Israel got what they wished for. They became like the other nations. All right, quickly, lesson number four is punishment is coming. We've already gotten a glimpse of this, but punishment is coming. Let's notice some descriptions of the punishment here in the book of Amos. Looking first at chapter... Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, back in Amos 2, verse 12... Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. Yeah. I've got to get back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 12. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down. Chapter 2, verse 13. I will press you down in your place. As a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from your swift. And the strong shall not retain his strength. Nor shall the mighty save his life. Okay. In other words, all your skills are going to do you no good. Because when this punishment comes, you will not be able to escape. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, As the shepherd rescues the mouth of the lion. Now I want you to picture this two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. 
with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. What's he saying there? Well, a lion can go into a flock and do a lot of damage. And when you go behind that lion, he has pulled apart his prey pretty good. You'll find an ear here, an arm there. I've seen this in our little neighborhood down there at Trinity. Our neighbor left a, a dog out, chained up one night. It was a new neighbor, a little puppy dog. And the next morning, that puppy dog was scattered all over the backyard because they didn't realize the coyotes that were around. This is, and this is what's going to happen to Israel. When God gets through with you, you're going to be scattered. Some of you are going to be here. Some of your wives are going to be prostitutes. A lot of your men are going to be killed. A lot of your men are going to be torn apart. A lot of your men and your family members are going to be over in Assyria. Okay. Look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Talking about punishment is coming. This is Amos talking to the people. Okay. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Now, look at that, Brother Paul. Who's he addressing here in verse 1? Who say to your husbands, bring me to drink. Who's he, who's he addressing? If you're saying to your husband, bring me a drink, who's he talking to? He starts out by saying, you cows of Bashan. Do you think Amos had a little backbone about him? I mean, if you want to get on somebody's bad side real fast, start referring to their wives as cattle. But here's what Amos is doing. He's, he's going to depict for them the punishment. Verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Now, the report is from different background studies. This is a literal situation where these nations would literally bring in hooks, put them in the noses of their captives, and lead them away just like cows, just like cattle, just like an animal. Okay. This is God through Amos pleading to his people to change so that all this will not happen. But this is exactly what did happen. So punishment is coming is our fourth lesson. Now our fifth lesson is that, that this happens. They sin and all this comes upon them though God was so good to them. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. God is saying to them, chapter 2 verse 9, Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. It was I who did this. The Amorite, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oak trees, I destroyed his fruit above. Also, it was I that brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I was the one that raised up your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? Listen to God's pleading to them. I was so good to you. Did I not take care of you? And then look what you're doing. You're throwing this back in my face. 
in spite of how good God had been to them. It reminds us, when someone leaves Christ, well, Peter mentions this in 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2. He says, they deny the master that bought them. Now, that's big because the master there is Christ. He bought them. That took the shedding of his blood. So you begin to think about all the love and all the sacrifice that went in for us to become a purchased people forgiven of our sins. And then we turn around, throw it back in the Lord's face. We deny the master that bought us. And this is what they're doing here in Amos' day as well. So lesson number five is, though God had been so good to them, yet they would not return uh, to him. Okay, lesson number six, as we just try to give a, a glimpse at the book of Amos. Lesson number six could be, look, could be seen from Amos 3 and verse 3. Somebody read that for us. Amos 3 verse 3. This is familiar to you. But this is another way that God pleaded with them. Somebody real loud, read Amos 3, verse 3 for us. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? This is, this is God coming at them from another angle. Okay. Right. You claim to be my people, O Israel, but two cannot walk together unless they are agreed, and God is God, and you are God's creation, so you must agree with him. Have you, have you ever tried that? You ever tried that? Try that sometime. Try to walk together without being agreed. Suppose you call up somebody and say, let's go walk. And you just hang up on them. Well, they don't know when you meant, where you meant, okay? how long, what day, what time of day. Okay. It's not what Israel's doing. They're just hanging up on God. They're not even listening to him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Over in the New Testament we find, as the Apostle Paul discusses the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10, and he's urging them to stay away from idols. You remember what he said? You cannot partake of the cup of what? Yeah. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot partake of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, the cup of the devil. You cannot partake of the bread of both. You have to make up your mind. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can't, can't partake of the devil's ways and the Lord's ways. They never do intersect at all. Right. So the Lord had been so good to them, but they still would not walk with him. And lesson, lesson number seven is found in chapter four. Let's be flipping to chapter four in Amos. These kind of go back to back because you see God using so many various means to try to reach his people. So here's another way he tries to reach his people. Look at verse 6, chapter 4. He said, I gave you cleanness of teeth. You see that? Chapter 4, verse 6. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread. What does all this mean? Yet you do not return to me. In other words, he brought a famine upon them. That's why they've got cleanness of teeth. They don't have any food. 
So here's another way which God tried to reach them. He said, I brought a famine upon you, and yet you did not return to me. I also, verse 7, I withheld the rain from you when there was yet three months uh, uh, to the harvest. I would, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and then another field on which it did not rain would wither away on two or three cities, would wander into another city, etc., etc., to drink water, and yet you would not return to me. So God would bring one natural disaster upon another natural disaster, and that didn't work. So think about all the different ways God is trying to plead with them. He's pleading, pleading with them. You will not return to me. I was good to you, you wouldn't return to me. Okay. Let's try to reason this thing out together. Can two walk together? Is that to be agreed? That didn't work. He said, well, I also tried some rather drastic measures. And that didn't work on you. Question might arise, does God still work this way? We got, how many Brother Pauls we got in here? Any of the Brother Pauls want to answer that? Does God still use natural disasters to bring us back to him? What do you think? You don't think so? Okay. What do you think about Brother Paul? I think he moves in all sorts of ways to accomplish his will. Moves in all sorts of ways? He sets up kingdom to take down the kingdom and he puts some rumors, he takes out the rumors. He sets up kingdoms, takes out rulers, uses all various means. But when God works in the world, his primary objective is to bring people back to him, we would think, because he said, I would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Go, go ahead, brother. So how would a natural disaster bring someone back? Okay, how would a natural disaster bring someone back to God? Really? You're up to date on your hazards? Yeah. Well, if a natural disaster affects you personally, then that certainly would, would um, for most people, that would cause them to stop and, and, um, and want to draw themselves closer to God. I remember after the April of 74 tornadoes at Tanner Church Christ, we increased our membership, not membership, attendance probably over half the next Sunday. Mark is saying that back in 74, Tanner, church attendance grew after the tornadoes came through. Just for a while. For a while. Right when the twin towers were hit, you didn't hear much from the atheists during during that time, did you? That's right. Everybody was turning to God. People who were speaking were talking about. Ma'am. 
Look at looking at Haiti and some of the things that they have encountered. Awful. But we do have a lot of missionaries going down that way. So they're they're in lots of danger. But the soil is fertile for the gospel. So, okay. Paul's saying that some of the relief effort in Louisiana lately because of hurricanes uh, created 40 plus Bible studies. Um, so, uh, does that help, brother, on that? How natural disasters can, can perhaps jolt one into uh, back to reality about God? Right. So, no, we wouldn't be able with certainty to say anything like that. that Paul's saying, does that mean that every natural disaster is a result of, of specific sin, personal sin? Um, not necessarily. Yeah. Right. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Houston's Saying from Jesus' words in Matthew 5. You know, we call them natural disasters, but we say that there's ever a time when God is not in control of Right. So we call them natural disasters, but uh, does that indicate that God at some point is not in control? That's what Ken is asking. We would never, we would never think that God is ever out of control. He does control this world. So it is interesting to think, but Romans 11.33 says God's ways are past finding out. So we can't with certainty say, well, here's what God's doing, here's what God's not doing. But any time, any day is a day to draw closer to God. And certainly if something challenging happens, that's another opportunity to draw (coughs) even closer to God. So that's a David, I think you also don't take into consideration uh, the greatest natural disaster there ever was, and that changed this earth and the climate and the weather and everything else. That's the great flood, yeah. which was caused by sin. And uh, probably before then, we didn't have what we have now hurricanes and tornadoes, and we know we probably didn't even have rainfall because the city earth was, was watered by mist that came up from the ground. Things were probably a lot calmer and a lot more peaceful. Than they are now, but it's like the fears says that world's gone. Right. The rainbow comes out after a tornado or a hurricane or whatever. That's supposed to remind us that was that world when God destroyed that world, and we better watch. It's not supposed to remind us of gangsta. It's supposed to remind us of what happened to the world. Good point. Good point. Good point. The rainbow is supposed to remind us that there was one big, big disaster back in. Genesis, Noah's day, 
And that really has set on fire the world. It has set things in, in chaos. And we do have these storms. We have these, these disasters. And generally speaking, sin is the cause of all bad things, certainly. But by that rainbow, we understand that he is in control. He is telling us by that that another That's a good point. That rainbow is telling us that he is in control. That's a great point. We don't ever need to let go of that rainbow in Genesis. That's a great, great um, sign from God. If you're looking for a sign from God, there it is, a rainbow. Well, thank you so much. We didn't get through all the lessons in, in Amos, but as you can see, there are several, and um, he is a man of tremendous courage, and some of these lessons point all the way down to our time. So thank you for walking through some of these passages with me. We'll take a five-minute break. Thank you.